you to turn with me in your Bible to Exodus 22. We're going to look at three verses from Exodus 22, verses 25 through 27, but uh, we'll read through the end of the chapter so that we can see that context. We've been kind of camping out in uh, this chapter and the preceding one for recent weeks, looking at some of the case laws that God has given us, helping us to apply His moral law to the concrete day-to-day life that we experience. And starting in verse 25, he tells us, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs." Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved servants of Christ our King, we have here in these three verses, the first three that we read, a text which may seem less than thrilling, especially given the day that we have here. I mean, today we have the rare privilege of witnessing both a profession of faith and a celebration of the Lord's Supper. We might expect a text that focuses on the cross or that, that pointedly calls us to confess our faith boldly and publicly. Might this text be something of a missed opportunity? But I assure you it is not. In fact, I think this text is beautifully fitting, both because of what it shows us about our Savior and our King, and because of how it molds us and shapes us into His image. But to see us, we need to take time, or to see this, we need to take time to study it well. As I said, this is one of those case laws that God has given us that helps us to apply His moral law, summarized in the Ten Commandments, to the realities of life. And that's not just for his people of old. Because although life and its circumstances has changed pretty radically over the last 3,400 years since this was written, the nature of people has not. And the nature of life in this world with its hardships and its trials has not changed. We encounter just as they encountered people in need. Within the church, we find folks who struggle to pay their bills, who wonder where the next paycheck will come from, or who simply do without. How are we, as the people of God, to deal with that? Is it in any way our responsibility, or is that something the government should take care of? What does God's instruction in this text teach us about our calling and what does it teach us about Him? 
My friends, God gives important, I would even say essential instruction to guide us in these matters. And the heart of his instruction is quite simply this, that the God of mercy requires mercy toward his poor servants. That's our theme. The God of mercy requires mercy toward his poor servants. We encounter that, first of all, in a statement of the general principle as God commands generous provision for the poor, which is what we find in the start of verse 25. The Lord begins in verse 25 by showing us the nature of the need. Someone needs a loan. He doesn't have enough money for something essential. Maybe he doesn't have enough money for the, uh, the clothes that his children need. Or he doesn't have sufficient funds to put gas in the car. Or, or the fridge is empty and so is his wallet. However, this isn't just somebody. God identifies this as one of his people. An Israelite, a member of the church. This is one whom God has set apart to himself. It is a holy one. And that means that God has taken a personal interest in this person. And yet, the person is poor. That doesn't necessarily mean penniless, but it does mean the person is lacking in an essential way. God has seen fit. God, in his sovereignty, has seen fit to withhold something this individual needed. Now, it's not explicit right here, but the implication of this verse, the command of this verse especially as we read it in the context of all of God's Word, is that you are called to help Him. Because, you see, we serve a sovereign God. And so when one of His people is in need, when one of His people is lacking, God didn't make a mistake. God didn't forget to supply His need. God ordained for that individual to be lacking. And he also ordained for everything that you have to be in your possession. Which means if you're not lacking, he ordained that. If you have an abundance, he ordained that. And he also in his sovereignty ensured that you would learn of this need. In this case, it seems that the individual has come to you asking for a loan. Asking for your help. God orchestrated that. Now you, having seen that need, have the freedom to simply help, to give him what he needs. God does delight in the generosity of his servants. However, that's not always the best course of action. It may be that while you can help at the moment, you're living pretty close to the edge also. You can't really afford to do away with, or you, from what you can tell, you can't do away with what he needs, but you can give it as a loan. Or it may be that looking at him, looking at the humility that it took simply to ask for the loan, you recognize that giving it to him would be demoralizing. That he desires to pay it back. And so, there is no sin in doing as the man asks, in giving him a loan. However, and here is the principle, we must not loan the money like a moneylender. Now, now that might seem 
a little curious. I mean, if I loan the man money, am I not necessarily a money lender? But the Hebrew word here doesn't focus on the fact that you loaned him something. It focuses on the fact that you're profiting from them. We might better render it, you shall not be like a banker to him. The point is, God doesn't want us making a profit, getting income from our needy brother. Now, to be clear, it is not morally wrong to make your living as a banker. It is legitimate to loan people money with the promise of being repaid a greater amount of money. That's how bankers work. That's how investment brokers work. And that's legitimate for most of the voluntary loans people take out. If you're getting a loan to buy a bigger house, to get a newer car, or to start a business so that you have the the capital to get the the tools and the uh, various resources that you need to get the business off the ground, there's nothing wrong with a loan that brings profit in that case. But this text is very different than that, isn't it? This is a person, the person seeking the loan is a person who needs something essential. And he's a fellow believer. In that case, God says we are not to see this as an opportunity to make a profit. You're not to treat him as a banker would, but rather you're to serve the Lord by showing the needy one mercy. And that, after all, is the calling that God always lays upon his people. Leviticus 25, verse 35, expands on this verse. says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself, you shall support him as though he were a stranger or a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Psalm 37, verse 26, The righteous man is the one who is ever lending generously. Proverbs 19, verse 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew 25, says that when we meet the needs of those whom he sets before us, When we give food to the hungry and water to the thirsty, when we clothe those who are naked or visit those who are sick, we're actually giving to Him. And therefore, God commands us to be generous in the way that we provide to the poor. It's not a question of whether we help, but of how. You shall not be like a moneylender to Him. Why not be like a moneylender or a banker to Him? Well, Because that lacks mercy. It makes it a business transaction. Our God is the epitome. He is the embodiment of mercy. And He has called us, whom He has set apart for Himself, to reflect His merciful character. I mean, think about it. We deserve, because of our sins, we deserve nothing but scorn and wrath. And yet He shows us love and faithfulness. And He wants us to reveal to others the mercy He has shown to us, especially to those whom He loves. But if we act without mercy, if we see our brother's need as an opportunity simply to make more money for ourselves, we make a mockery of the image of God. So in the second section of our text, God gets really practical in what it looks like to lend money to this poor brother without being a banker toward him. And he shows that by condemning greedy profiting from the poor. The first example he gives us involves charging interest on the money you loan to your brother. Now, little ones, do you know what interest is? Interest, that's how a banking transaction works. 
You go to the bank, you borrow a certain amount of money. Say you want to buy a car. It's a used car, but it's a nicer used car. Maybe you borrow $10,000 from the bank. Now, you're going to borrow it for a certain amount of time at a certain interest rate. Say you borrow it for five years at 5% interest. As you pay that money back, you're not paying back just what you borrowed. You're paying that back plus a little extra. That's the interest. So that at the end of those five years, you'll have paid back that $10,000 along with about $1,300 worth of interest. That's the profit that the banker makes. That's the interest. And here God says, in loaning money to a fellow believer in need... Money that he's going to use to feed his family. Money he's going to use to pay the rent. You may not charge him interest. You may not make a profit on that money. And secondly, in verse 26, he says, If you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Now, property taken in pledge is what's known in banking as collateral. It's some physical possession that has value. If you hand over that pledge, that collateral to the banker, when you pay back the money, he gives it back to you. Or it might be if it's something bigger like a house or a car that you just give them the the certificate of ownership. And when you've paid back the loan, then they give you that back. But if you don't pay back, if you don't repay the loan, then the lender now owns that collateral, that pledge. Well, here... The person uses his cloak as a pledge. Now, the cloak in question was a, a big piece of heavy-duty cloth that folks used, especially working-class folks, they used as their outer garment. It was relatively waterproof, it was heavy, it was warm, and so they would wrap it around themselves as their coat during the day to keep warm. And oftentimes, at night, they would use it as their blanket to to keep warm in bed. So that tells us something, doesn't it? If this man's collateral is literally the clothes on his back, he has nothing of value. He has nothing else that he can put up. He has no livestock. He has no cart. Right? There's nothing else that he can put up. Literally, the clothes off his back. And so God says, don't make him go the night without it. Now, that's probably going to defeat the whole purpose of the pledge, isn't it? Because it's highly unlikely that the person is going to be able to pay back that money the same day he borrowed it. But if you give the pledge back, well, then you have no collateral, do you? You have no guarantee that will ensure the repayment of the loan. And God knows that. Yet he reminds the lender. That is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? He's saying better that you as a lender go without the pledge than that he as a borrower, as one who is poor... Go the night shivering and thus be demoralized and shamed. Do you see the lesson God is teaching us here? Show mercy when you're helping the one who is in need. Show mercy by refusing to take away their dignity. To keep that cloak, to keep that last remaining item of value by which he keeps warm. That's placing a priority on repayment, on money, 
when our priority should be on mercy and on the well-being of our brother. Do you hear that? Our priority should be not on money, but on mercy. And surely, that principle applies broadly today. To be sure, folks in our society don't use a cloak of that sort in that way. But what about the tools by which the man can make the living that he'll use to repay the loan? Or what about the car that he uses to get to work? If desperation leads him to put up something necessary as collateral, refuse the collateral, God is saying. Simply give the resource that the man needs and then trust God with the repayment. Because yes, that lack of a pledge, that lack of collateral could allow him to easily not repay you. It could cause you yourself to experience a loss, but so what? We need to remember that all that we have came from God and in fact belongs to God. Everything. And our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, says the psalmist. Which means he can ensure that whatever you lose will be replaced. After all, everything you have came from his hand. My friends, this is a calling to show mercy and to treat with dignity those who are in need while looking to the Lord, trusting Him with the implications. Don't worry about how it's going to come back to you. Worry about that person whom God has set before you. Worry about their need. Worry about their standing before the Lord. Worry about whether you're showing the mercy of God to them. Matthew 25, Jesus says that at the judgment, He's going to separate all of mankind into two groups. The group condemned will be condemned because of what they did, or rather what they didn't. They'll be condemned because they refused to serve Him. They'll be condemned because they refused to reflect Him. Because their behavior, their lifestyle, their actions revealed a heart of rebellion against God. But those who are welcomed into the glory of God's kingdom, they will be commended for having shown mercy to Christ. He'll say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And they will be confused. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison? And what is his answer to them? Surely, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's our calling. To reveal the mercy of Christ and to serve Christ toward those brothers and sisters whom God sets before us who have need. And that brings us to the final warning of this text at the end of verse 27. Here we see God's promise of accountability. And with that, His promise to commit, or Him, yeah, His promise to graciously protect the poor. God's warning, if He cries to me, I will hear. Now, the Hebrew is actually a bit stronger there. It, it literally says, and it shall be that when he cries to me. Because remember, this is one of God's people. 
God's people pray. God's people share with the Lord all that they experience, especially in their times of need. And so God knows that that they've been crying out to Him for relief and that if you refuse them or if you mistreat them in their time of need, He's going to hear about it from them. And He says, I will hear. Which means more than He will register the words, it means He will care. He will answer them. And that means that He will take up their cause. My friend, shudder at the thought of one whom we have mistreated, one whom we have refused to treat with mercy, calling out to God for justice against us. What did we hear in our call to worship this morning? He delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. Precious is their blood in his sight. You see, God cares for them because he himself is compassionate, says our text. The, the, verb, or the word there is gracious. God is gracious. He shows mercy to those who are in need. He helps those who cannot help themselves. And God wants us, who have received His mercy, whom He has adopted as His own, to reflect His mercy to a watching world. And that's what we do when we come to the aid of the weak and the needy. That's what we do when we give without worrying about repayment. That's what we do when we focus on their need in a way that doesn't demoralize them. But if we decline to show his mercy, God will see. And he will decline to show mercy to us. My friends, we must never forget what the Lord has done for us. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. He's not talking about silver and gold and cash reserves there, is he? Jesus became poor for us, setting aside his infinite majesty in heaven, embracing the poverty of life in a fallen world. He chose freely to accept the loss of all things and to be scorned by men. He endured the abject poverty that he embraced when he became one of us and suffered on our behalf so that we might become immeasurably rich, being reconciled to our heavenly Father. Receiving the assurance of eternal life. Being told that we are fellow heirs with Christ over the whole of creation. Therefore, in the light of that, He calls us to give freely to those whom He sets before us who have need. Remembering with 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Therefore, he commands us to show love, revealing our mercy by reflecting his love. Beloved, 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
It is by our love for them, our mercy toward them, our care for them that we reveal Him and demonstrate that our faith is real. And if we do so at the end, He will tell us, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jacob, what has He done for you? Congregation of Christ, How has he blessed you? Did he help you only when it cost him nothing? Absolutely not. In a few moments, we're going to see that loaf of bread torn apart, shattered, to reflect the immensity of the price that Jesus paid to redeem us, though we had no claim on him. We will watch the wine be poured out as he allowed his lifeblood to be poured out. That was the price that he paid to show us mercy and to redeem us from abject poverty. Now, Will you, for whom he was broken, for whom his lifeblood was poured out, will you withhold a bit of cash, a bit of profit, the dignity of mercy given in joy to one whom God has set before you who has a need? No. Instead, we must see that person, that one in need, as Jesus' representative. We must love that person with the love that He has shown to us. We must meet that person as a representative of Christ. We must show show mercy to that person out of confidence in the one who has shown such mercy to us. That, brothers and sisters, is our clearest and most powerful confession of faith. And it is upon that confession of faith that one day we will be judged. Our God's sovereignty is absolute. Nothing comes to pass that He has not ordained. And therefore, when you learn of the need of your brother or sister in the faith, understand God ordained for that need to exist. God revealed that need to you so that you could act. God has chosen that person to represent His beloved Son. Therefore, the God of mercy requires mercy toward that poor servant. May the mercy that we show constitute a powerful confession of our faith in Christ and of our overwhelming gratitude for the God who has redeemed us from poverty and brought us into the riches of His love. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Your mercy and Your grace toward us are abundant beyond belief. We thank You and we praise You. And we pray that You would give us the ability to show show our gratitude, to show our love for You, to show our confidence in You, in the situations that you place before us. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed be glorified through this, your people. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.